Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. I'm your host, Christopher Locke. I'm also the IBPA Director of Membership and Member Services. Okay, a new year is upon us. So today we're going to talk and look back at all the hot button issues that hit the publishing industry last year. And that's right, we are not afraid to discuss dangerous topics on this podcast. That's kind of what I'm known for, everyone. And we're going to discuss what publishers can do to prepare for the major issues they'll be facing in the new year. Plus, we want to discuss how IBPA will help independent publishers tackle these issues successfully. All right, joining us on the podcast today is IBPA CEO, Andrea Fleck-Nisbet. Hello. Hi there, Chris. Thanks for inviting me to come on board. Well, uh, first of all, I'm very excited because I actually get to talk to you directly. Normally, you make me talk to your assistant first and then, and I can't even look you in the eyes. So I'm, this is a, this is a privilege. <laughs> no, you, look, I want to start off. I know I'm gonna, you're my boss and sound like I'm kissing up, but I just want you to know I'm so excited to have you at IBPA. It's been great. You just, you have so much knowledge about the industry. Uh, you're, you're very personable. Like I, I can just, everyone is like, I'll tell you all, everybody that's talking behind the scenes, they're like, we love Andrea. So there you go. Thank you, Christopher. Are you just trying to boost me up so that I'm ready to go on this podcast today? Well, every question is going to be hard hitting and it, it's, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I hope you can get through this. Okay. All right. So one of the main reasons that we're excited about you leading the team at IBPA is you've had a really illustrious career in publishing. So I just wanted to see if you can briefly chat about like your experience in publishing and then what you're excited about doing uh, at IBPA with any publishers. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. So I um, have been in publishing for a little over 20 years for almost my entire career. Although fun fact, I did start my career working at a girls boarding school, which I only did for nine months before hightailing it out. And um, I was very fortunate to get my first job in publishing at a large independent publisher, Workman Publishing, that was run by Peter Workman. And I actually started in special sales, which is my favorite department in any sales publishing division, because it's where you get to do a lot of the creative selling of books into non-traditional markets. So any place that's not a bookstore or an online retailer is where we would sell books. And we sold books to doctor's offices and insurance companies and through all sorts of nonprofits. And it was just a really fun way to begin my career. I was at Workman for 15 years. Um, and I like to say I got a liberal arts education in publishing there. So I did a little bit of everything. But in 2007, when the Kindle launched, that was the moment when many publishers just realized they weren't really ready for the digital revolution that was coming. And so that was an opportunity for me, not only to work closely with Amazon and other large retailers, but really to build our digital publishing program from the ground up. So that was a lot of fun. And then by the time I left Workman, I was doing business operations. So a little bit of everything. From Workman, um, I actually went to Ingram, where I spent three years working with publishers of all sizes, from large trade and academic publishers, all the way through independent publishers and author publishers. And I will say, even though I was coming from an independent publisher, I didn't understand until I got to Ingram the breadth and the depth and the variety of publishing programs that independent publishers represent across the country and across the globe. And so I really had the opportunity to learn 
more about independent publishing, how it worked, and how we at Ingram could help to serve independent publishers. And at the time, I actually worked closely with IVPA. So that was a wonderful experience. From there, I went to HarperCollins, and that was a chance to sit on the other side of the desk and acquire books um, for a large trade publisher, which had both its ups and downs and positives and negatives. Um, I would say I learned a lot about corporate publishing um, and sort of where I think we'll end up as an industry, but it was something that didn't fill me with passion. Um, And so I'm just thrilled to be here serving this community and getting back to my roots in independent publishing. So I know that was long-winded. I hope that's okay. No, uh, we're going to cut all that out. Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, no, I, well, I love that you have, you you have so much background on all these different facets. So that's going to make you at IBPS such an asset, you know, because you know, the indie publishing, big five, and then you know, like the distribution and all that. So it's just, it's just going to be really helpful for you. So, um, on that note, then, uh, I thought it'd be helpful because we're going into 2023, but you know, it'd be good to go back over some of the major industry uh, changes, topics, things that happened in 2022. And uh, so I wanted to see, can you chat about some of those you thought were the bigger ones and then, you know, how they're still going to affect publishers this year? Yeah, so I think there were some major issues, some of them more public um, and more hot button issues, if you will. And some of them that were less what I would consider sexy topics that people didn't want to talk about as much like supply chain. Somehow supply chain is never a sexy topic, but really did impact the industry at large. Um, Let's talk about the the DOJ case first, because that was on everyone's mind and kind of captured the interest of the public at large, which I thought was really interesting. And, you know, something we've been talking about as a group is how laser focused the general public is when they think about publishing on just those handful of large trade publishers. And so in looking at the DOJ case, one of the things that I found to be so fascinating was that it was really focused in my mind on sort of the wrong concern in the marketplace. So can we we real quick, what can you just explain what is the DOJ case? Because there might be people who are like, what what even is that? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. So um, I think it was in 2019, Simon and Schuster um, made it public that they were available for sale. And Penguin Random House, which obviously had already merged back in, I believe, 2010 or 2011, Random House purchased Penguin. So they were already the largest of the big five, once big six publishers. And then when SNS came up for sale, Penguin Random House made a winning bid. And so they were electing to purchase SNS. But the Department of Justice stopped that acquisition because there was concern around the monopoly of having one very, very large publisher that would be controlling essentially 70 to 80% of the market. And so The case was tried in the last year. um, And again, it was very much the focus of publishing in terms of how national media was covering publishing. Um, And so when you read the case, what they're really discussing is the acquisitions process and specifically the acquisitions of books for advances over $250,000. And so when you think about 
the large scope of our industry, they were focused on a very, very small percentage. I think it's something like 0.7% of all the books that are published are actually acquired for those level of, of advances. And so in a way, the case, while it was ultimately good for our industry and especially for independent publishers that the the um, DOJ was able to block that um, that acquisition and they're kind of SNS is going to go back to the drawing board for many reasons. But it it really the impact to independent publishers isn't about those acquisitions because let's face it, most of our community are not acquiring books for over two hundred fifty thousand dollar advances. Mm-hmm. It's more about control downstream. And when I say downstream, what I mean is the negotiation power that a large publisher of that size would have ultimately with Amazon and with Barnes & Noble and with other trading partners, because they would be able to set essentially the rules for how those books are acquired and brought into the retail spaces. And we already know that it's hard for our community to be able to get visibility in retail space. And so ultimately, the reason it was a good thing for us is because it broke apart that um, ability for PRH to acquire as such a large entity. Um, That's not to say they still don't control most of the marketplace, they do. But I do think that things are changing and that there's gonna be real opportunity for independent publishers in the coming years. Yeah, you know, actually on that issue, so you worked at, you know, one of the big five and there's some tension with indie publishers because like you were mentioning, like they have it pretty easy. They already have traditional distribution set up. Bookstores are more likely to carry their books. They are more likely to get trade reviews. So just from your perspective, I mean, it feels like indie publishers are always just struggling to try to succeed. And these big five who are already successful are just kind of like riding the wave of their success. I mean, is there anything any publishers can do or like, how do we get the the process to turn around? So it's not always such a struggle. And, and then the big five always just has it so easy. Yeah, I think that's our really, I mean, that's ultimately the heart of the question, right? Which is how do we, how do we get representation for our books in the marketplace? Um, and there, unfortunately, there is no silver bullet. There's no easy way to make that happen, and there never will be. However, there have been improvements in technologies which make it easier for independent publishers to own the relationship with their customer, with their reader. When I say customer, I mean reader, not the retail partner. And so... Um, One thing that I would suggest for our members to really focus on is owning owning your market. So one of the beauties of independent publishing is that large publishers tend to publish across very broad swaths of content. So they're doing nonfiction, they're doing fiction, they're doing science fiction, they're doing cookbooks, they're doing how-to books, they're doing self-help books. So they're doing all of it. And they're doing that assuming that that very top little percent of the books that they acquire are going to earn out and make them profitable for their long tail, which often is not profitable. And that is not a very good model for any business to operate on. And so I think the advantage that independent publishers have is to one, own their niche, to know what topic, to make that topic very specific know who their customer is and be communicating to that reader directly, which is something that honestly, large 
trade publishers have never done well. They've never built those consumer direct muscles well. And so there's a real opportunity for indie publishers to step into that space and with a much smaller list, be able to communicate directly to those consumers. And then with advances in technology, printing technology, print on demand options, ebook options, audiobook options now, even if we're small, we still have the ability to deliver the content that that reader wants to them in whatever format they want, format they want directly. Um, so with advances, advances in technology and the ability to, to communicate directly to consumers, it's always going to be hard to get books into Barnes and Noble and to create visibility at Amazon, but we can communicate directly with our consumers and sell to them directly. Mm. Okay. And then in terms of, you mentioned supply chain. So that was of course something last year that like just really hit everyone hard. Um, do you see any, like, is that letting up at all? Or are we just, or is it going to get worse? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, 2021 ended up actually being a little bit better in terms of supply chain issues by the back half of the year than the beginning. Where the real pain point was, was where we saw that increase in demand for books during the pandemic printers and suppliers and paper manufacturers couldn't keep up with that unforeseen demand because it was something that they weren't projecting for. As people kind of re-entered society and started going out again and the demand for books dropped a little bit, that provided some relief in the supply chain. So we're actually, and I was just um, speaking to some folks in the printing industry, they were able to kind of by the end of the year in that fourth quarter, even out their demand to such a degree that their lead times weren't as crazy as they had been at the beginning of the year. So I think from that perspective, absolutely, the supply chain feels a little bit um, more secure. Book sales, print book sales dropped six and a half percent last year. So we did see a decline from the year before. The good news is that book sales in 2022 we're still 11% higher than they were pre-pandemic, so in 2019. So the good news is people still are buying more books and hopefully reading more books, and the supply chain has been able to catch up. One positive outcome, I think, from this is that businesses, whether they're really, really large or small publishers like we represent, we're all taking a look at creating a more sustainable and profitable supply chain. And that's something we, we have to do. We have to do it for the environment. We have to do it just because it makes good business sense. Um, and if we can get to a place where we're able to better manage demand and realistic demand, then long-term, the supply chain is going to be much cleaner and easier to manage across the industry. So you specifically mentioned print book sales, but like, are, are, are you in any way including, because you said, oh, print book sales are low, but like audiobooks do really well. So oh, why aren't they mixing those two together? Because I mean, obviously, if some of those people normally would have bought a print book and they get the audiobook version, like to me, they bought quote unquote books, you know, like they just people are love reading. Or Yeah, and I, I don't have the statistic in front of me right now, but I do know that audiobook sales continue to increase over time. And I think the beauty of the audiobook is its ability to compete with other forms of media. And so what I mean by that is reading has always been a sort of one task 
activity. You can only, if you're reading a book, whether you're reading it digitally or you're reading it on, in a print book, you have to sit down and focus on that. Whereas with an audio book, that is a multitask activity. And I know from personal experience, I'm a convert. I said I would never listen to audiobooks. It wasn't a thing I was interested in. Well, when I started to get into them, what I realized is I could read a book and go for a run or read a book, listen to a book and go for a run. I could, you know, clean the house. I could read, listen to a book when I was uh, driving. And so I think when you look at the proliferation of books, the sheer number of books that have been introduced into the marketplace alongside of other media, the audiobook actually gives publishers the opportunity to compete, not necessarily among other books, but among other forms of media. And so I think we'll continue to see the audiobook marketing market increase, and you won't have that um, fall off the way we did in the ebook market. So the ebook market continues to be sort of flat, and I don't anticipate that we'll see, you know, an additional increase in ebook consumption anytime soon, if ever. Mm. It's funny when you mention about people listening and doing other things. Like, so as an author, there's this little part of me that's like, oh, I, oh, I'm just, I'm listening to this book and now I'm like cleaning the house and I'm like, but can you, I want you to pay attention to my, my story that I crafted over years, but whatever you, you bought it, that's fine. <laughs> well, it's no different than someone listening to a podcast, right? If you think about it, I, I mean, at least I hope people are listening to us while they're doing whatever they're doing. Are you telling me they don't just sit here for a half hour and just watch this? <gasps> I'm offended. Okay. Um, so I want to move on to issues that are going to be happening in 2023. Um, by the way, you mentioned Amazon, so might as well bring that up. Like, uh, what do you foresee happening with Amazon in 2023 that's going to maybe affect uh, indie publishers? Yeah, well, I think that what's going to happen with Amazon in 2023 is going to affect the industry across the board. Um, unfortunately, as you said earlier, as independent publishers, we're always struggling to get in front of someone at Amazon and make the, our our challenges known to them. And it's sort of like speaking into the ether. And I honestly, I've had some conversations with a couple of folks at Amazon recently, and it's public. Not, I mean, they just laid off what was it, eighteen thousand people mm -hmm. days ago, a day ago. Um, and so, Amazon has made it public that they plan to go from being an organization that's in investment mode to an organization that's profitable. And so, in order to do that, they're going to have to become even more efficient with things like inventory and returns and communications and staffing, you know, so in terms of our ability to, in terms of our ability to communicate more directly with Amazon, I think it's going to be more challenging than it ever has been, as it will be for the PRHs and the HarperCollins and the Elseviers of the world. It's just going to be a challenge. And so, again, I think as much as we can focus on consumer direct sales and owning our customers and being able to communicate with them directly, we should do that. Now, that's not to say that Amazon's not going to continue to make up a large percentage of the overall sales, um, but it's something we should be thinking about in terms of diversifying where we sell our books. Mm, okay. Um, so... I want to then kind of move on to like IBPA specific kind of concept of helping indie publishers. So 
you know, as CEO, I mean, you, you kind of oversee all the stuff we're doing. So, uh, you know, what are, we have a lot of challenges for indie publishers. What do you plan on like doing with IBPA to kind of help indie publishers succeed in publishing? Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, it's been interesting. So I'm now entering my third month here at IBPA. And so I've been spending a lot of time kind of getting up to speed on the day-to-day things, the business of managing the business and meeting all the members, which has been such a joy and getting to know the board and understanding the priorities and the strategic goals. As I look across those strategic goals, I think it's really critical for us to remember that we are here to serve our members as businesses and to help them day to day to manage their business effectively. And I think that all starts with education, right? So in order to equip our members, one, we have to have a better understanding, not only of what their needs are, but what their needs are specifically by member type. And so we have a few different member types. So we have author publishers, we have independent publishers, we have independent publishers who acquire books on a traditional model. We have independent publishers who acquire books on a hybrid model. We have lots of different types of models that are just emerging. I think in the coming year, we'll see more crowdfunding for publishing. So one of the great things about indie publishing is that we're able to try new things and be really nimble about them. But our goal as an organization really needs to be to help our publishers with the sort of nuts and bolts of how to produce a good book and how to put it out in the market. And so to that end, in the coming year, um, for you know 2023, we have lots planned in terms of webinars and programming. And Lee and I are right in the midst of putting together all of the speakers and the programming for PubU, which is very robust. And I'm really excited about it this year. Um, But then beyond that, I think we have to start to look at how we create educational programming, both by member type and also by where our members are in their, um, in their business journey. So are they just starting out? Do have they already established their business? And what they need to learn now is about, you know, what type of title management systems they might need to look at or whether they want to go with the traditional distributor. So these are all questions that our, we know our members are are asking of us, but we need to be able to direct them effectively. So I think it really comes down to knowing the membership better in terms of where they are in their journey and then supplying the right type of education so that it feels like they're on the right path. Yeah, I know scaling up in terms of like you start getting successful and then you're like, as like a business owner, you're like, you start out, you're like the only one doing everything. And then right. suddenly you're like, Oh, wait, I can't do everything. And now you have to figure out how to hire people. And now you're like trying to figure out who did, how to delegate certain tasks. And you're like, okay, but the reason I'm successful is because I was doing everything. So you have to like kind of give up, you know, and trust the people you hired. So all that can be very, and then like you were saying, uh, content management, uh, I'm sorry, um, title management systems, royalties, like all that stuff just starts to get very complicated. Um, I do think our members, hopefully we provide a network for them to also connect with each other because obviously IBPA can do a lot, but I, it's, it's the community that we build so that they can reach out to other people that are at the same level of them and go, okay, what did you do? Cause I've got, I'm getting overwhelmed here. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so I think, 
again, as much as we can provide a platform for community members to connect to community members who are experiencing similar challenges, because again, everyone's at a different place in their journey and folks have different models, business models. So to be able to create that community where you know you're going to be coming into a space, whether it's virtually or in person, and the people who are there are going to either have solutions to suggest or at least can commiserate, but it feels like there's a connection because they understand the specific challenges that you're facing. Um, I did want to mention one other thing that's not necessarily connected to education and community building, but is related to advocacy. Um, And so this is an area that IBPA has continued to grow in, and I hope will will continue to do that in a bigger way across the industry so that um, other corners of the industry look to the Independent Book Publishers Association for thought leadership, especially around things like business models. So best practices for different models, for hybrid publishing, for even traditional publishing. We've been building a lot of alliances with different associations. So a good example of that is the Copyright Alliance, which we belong to. And that really helps us to bring in information about what's happening from a rights management and copyright perspective, not only within the publishing industry, but from different media areas and media industries as well. And so I really hope and foresee that as an organization, we'll continue to build not only our thought leadership, but what we're doing in the publishing space to advocate on behalf of our members. Yeah. And so this is kind of like this next year. Do you have anything that you want to share about like, you know, beyond the next year, like maybe long term in terms of IBPA initiatives that, you know, obviously might take a little longer to, 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 you know, see through? Well, to get back to that idea of um, tracked programming, my hope is that a lot of that will eventually happen online so that when our members come to the website, they'll be able to self-identify in a clearer way and they'll be able to enter into workshops and programming and possibly even programs that will accredit them for the type of work that they're doing so that they feel like they can get that sort of long-term education that will last with them and help them grow with their business. And I think a lot of that needs to happen online. And that is um, that is definitely a long-term project. And we have to start with just the back end and the analytics. And again, understanding who our membership is and what they really need. But that is what I'm hoping that long-term we can develop so that our members want to stay with us for you know the the whole life cycle of their business because we have something for them at every step. Hello everyone, I'm cutting into the interview real quick because I have a special surprise for all you podcast listeners out there. IBPA is excited about our upcoming IBPA Publishing University on May 4th through 6th, 2023 in Coronado, California, which is just outside San Diego, California. And we appreciate you listening to this podcast, so we have an exclusive offer for you. You will get 15% off registration, again that's 1515 off registration for the conference if you go to publishinguniversity.org and use promo code IBPA podcast. Again, that's IBPA podcast. It's all one word. Use it during checkout and you're going to get 15% off. All right. We look forward to seeing you at the conference. Now back to the show.
Well, also this year is the 40th anniversary of IBPA, which is very exciting. So I also wanted to see specifically for this year, like, you know, are there anything that's like really cool, fun? I know you already said you're going to give the entire staff a month of vacation, right? Thank you in advance okay. for that. Okay, great. <laughs> it's settled. Handshake. We did it. Um, yeah. But, you know, is there anything that's like this year, like, hey, here's what we're doing for members? Yeah, a couple of things, a couple of fun things. And then one other sort of sort of deeper thinking idea that I have. So first, we've already announced, but in case you missed it, all of the webinars for the coming year are going to be free to all members. And so we do one webinar a month. They're $19 a piece typically. So this is a great value. It's over a $200 value. It covers the cost of your membership. Um, and so it's an opportunity if you haven't gone to the webinars before to learn something on a specific topic in depth from a subject matter expert. And Lee's done a great job pulling together subject matter experts from all different quarters of the industry to speak into some topics that are really relevant for us. Um, so I hope you will sign up for those. Again, they're free, especially to celebrate our 40th anniversary. And then in March, April, we'll be releasing the 40th anniversary edition of The Independent. And so there are going to be some great profiles and Q&As with longtime members, with prior board members, with Terry Nathan, who's been part of this organization in one form or the other since the beginning. Um, and hopefully lots of great nostalgic pictures and things for people to look through. So I can't wait for that articles or for that issue of the independent to come out. And then at PubU, we have some uh, fun activities planned to celebrate the 40th anniversary. But I also just wanted to mention that we're going to be treating that PubU as an opportunity for within our community for us to discuss and create a blueprint and roadmap for what we collectively as an organization want the next 40 years to look like. So how can we best serve you? Um, what are the things that are on your mind? What would you like to see not only from an education and a programming perspective, but potentially other member benefits? What do you think is going to make this organization healthy and successful long-term and to be able to grow as the industry changes and as your businesses change? So I really hope you'll join us there so we can have those conversations and plan the next chapter of our journey together. Yeah. Well, at that point, I'll be like in my mid 80s, uh, 40 years from now, and I'll still be at IBPA. Um, oddly, you all will have demoted me to intern by that point, which will be very weird. But what are you going to we'll do? We'll give you an emeritus title. <laughs> okay. I'll be like the greeter at uh, Walmart. I'll be the, I'll be like, hey, everybody. Um, yeah. And also, you mentioned activities at PubU. So I don't know. Twister? I don't know. Something, we got to, got to be something wild we're gonna come up with something fun okay i'm gonna keep that under wraps yet uh, oh you haven't okay all right you'll only people uh going will find out that's right okay um so uh we're coming down to the the kind of the the end of the the podcast but i, I just want to make sure is there anything else you know about the next year uh you know things that let me be tips for indie publishers that you just want to you know uh help prepare them for you know the things they're about to be hit with um you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it's a good year, but, you know, like, I mean, especially like with the COVID thing, there's always going to be things that just kind of come out of the blue and it's like, wow. So, you know, maybe planning for the worst 
and hoping for the best kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think we all recognize that it's potentially going to be a year with a little bit of challenge in it, you know? And I think that that comes not only from the publishing industry, but sort of what we see from the economy at large. Again, we're facing inflation, we're facing cost of goods are going to go up. We know that. Um, And so it's a good time to be thinking about how we prepare for those inevitabilities um, and just really kind of focus in on how we can maintain and grow our business in a smart way. And I, one thing I want to pause and mention, so you interviewed Ty Davis from Publisher Gift in the last podcast, and I just finished listening to that. And she talked a lot about um, being able to plan long term when you're in the moment. And I think that's something that we often have a challenge to do, right? So she kind of talks about how something comes up, you weren't expecting it, you want to put a bandaid on it and move forward, but that doesn't actually solve the root problem. So this idea of being able to do real-time planning or long-term planning in the moment is something that I think is really critical because that helps us to be able to pivot our businesses when the unexpected happens. And so I would encourage everyone, if you haven't listened to that podcast with Ty, to go back and take a listen to it because I felt like I learned some things coming out of that. It's probably going to win an award for the best podcast of the year. I anyway, I mean, this one's this one's good, but I mean, everyone, I'm like, I think I just won an award. Anyway. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty fantastic. So, um, and actually, Ty and I and Karen Pavlison, who's our board chair, are going to be doing a workshop at PubU called "The Business of the Business," and that's going to be covering a lot of the things that we discussed around you know, what are the foundations and functions of the business? But then as you grow, what are the systems you need to be thinking about? What are the processes you need to be thinking about? How do you prepare for long-term growth? And then discussing some of those strategies for pivoting in the moment. So not to do a little ad for our workshop, but I think it's going to be pretty great. And the two team members I have are going to be doing that workshop with me are very talented entrepreneurs. So I recommend that you check it out. Yeah. And uh, remind the listeners, so it's a workshop. So um, that's like three hours or something, right? Like it's longer than the four hours. Okay. Um, and that's pre-conference? That's the day before? It's the Thursday before. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a four-hour conference or a four-hour workshop. And I believe we're charging $99 for it, but it's very in-depth. So there's going to be a lot of helping you to sort of plan. There's the overview, but then it's like, bring your business plan and let's let us help you to do some of that planning. Yeah. And for those workshops, do people need to bring things in advance or you just come and then everything's just there? It, you can come and you'll learn a lot just by being there. But I feel like you would probably get the most out of it if you came potentially with your business plan or your group of challenges or your questions around, I am in the business for, you know, I'm looking for a new title management system. How do I look for that? Or what are some potential options for looking into security and outsourced IT? Those types of questions are things we're going to be addressing. So I would say at the very least, come with your list of questions. Yeah. Well, so this uh, PubU is in May, the first week in May, and it's going to be in San Diego. Well, Coronado, but that's just outside San Diego. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful hotel. Um, so we, we hope uh, people can come out to that. It's not a bad place for a conference, I will definitely say. Mm-hmm. It might stay an extra day 
if I'm allowed to have vacation days, we're, uh, we're going to negotiate that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm excited uh, about all the things we have with uh, going with IBPA. Um, I, I really, I know that we, we're always thinking about with members, like, you know, what do they need the most? Like what, what member benefits? Like we only exist to help serve our members and publishers. So uh, I'm excited for all of that. And um, I hope with this podcast that you sign up. It's the last Thursday of every month. Um, you can watch it here on YouTube. You can uh, listen to it on the podcast, um, anywhere you normally get them. Also, make sure uh, we want uh, people to sign up to be members of IBPA. Um, so it's ibpa-online.org. Um, and if you ever have any questions, you know, you can reach out to anyone on the staff. Um, Andrea, this is some great information. And I'm also just uh, grateful, you know, for everything you've done so far. And it, it's we got a, a good year ahead. Likewise, Christopher, it's such a joy to work with you and the rest of the staff. And I do also just want to say to the members, my door is also open. My email address is Andrea at ibpa-online.org. Please reach out to me at any time. If you have thoughts, ideas, questions, I am here. And I love to hear from our members. So I hope to hear from all of you very soon. Hey. Oh, so they get to talk to you directly. All right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Uh, we hope you'll come back and listen to all the future podcasts. Thank you. Have a great year, everyone. Take care.